Hi, Olivia. How you doing? I'm good. Welcome to Women, Magic, and Power, everyone. Thank you for joining us, listeners. We have a great episode for you today. That's right. We have our guest, Alexandra Cleric. She's from Argentina. This was one of my favorite episodes yet. I'm so happy that we had her. Alexandra is really amazing. She has had a long and fascinating spiritual journey throughout her life. Mm -hmm. She currently is a teacher of A Course in Miracles. She works with sound healing. She does. And she'll tell us more about that as well as some of her most recent work with plant medicine like ayahuasca. She's pretty amazing. And she's going to take you to a higher plane. Mm -hmm. Here she is. Enjoy. Oh, perfect. So we have Alexandra Cleric with us. How are you doing, Alexandra? I'm doing wonderful today. Really good. How about you girls? I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We're so excited that you're here. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Tell us a little bit about um, people. You should know Alejandra is from Argentina originally, just like me, but we haven't met before. So tell us a little bit about what was like growing up in Argentina. Well. Um, it was, you know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, sort of, I was in high school in the 70s. So this was a very tumultuous time Mm -hmm. uh, in Argentina, which is very similar to what's happening now in Argentina uh, when I grew up. Well, no, not in a lot of ways, but I grew up through a dictatorship. Um, It was, uh, it was an interesting place to grow up, you know. Uh, I love Argentina. I love Buenos Aires. I love the people. So it was an interesting place to grow up. I have a lot of perspectives about life and about people from the way I grew up and the experiences that I had as I was growing up. Okay. I was born in the north of Argentina, like near the Iguazu Falls. My great my grandparents emigrated from Austria and Italy and they went up there and bought tons of land. It this is near where the Iguazu Falls where the falls the famous uh, yeah. Iguazu Falls are. Was born there but I really grew up in Buenos Aires. Very early age the family moved to Buenos Aires so I really grew up in the in the suburbs of Buenos Aires. And was it just you or did you have any siblings? Oh yeah, no, I have uh, I have we're five siblings. My dad remarried. So there's two from, uh, three from one marriage and two from the other, but we all grew up together. And when did you leave Argentina? I left Argentina when I was about 18 or so. You said there's five of you. What number are you in the mix? I'm number two. Okay. Okay. You're up there. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Was the church a big part of your life when you were growing up? Not at all. I mean, I went to Catholic schools just because private schools in Argentina were Catholic, mostly. So I went to Catholic schools, but I did not grow up in a religious family at all. I actually went to high school in a, this wasn't even a a, a Catholic school. It was a boarding school. I spent most of my high school years in a boarding school in the outside Buenos Aires. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. Very, you know, very away, very far from the city. And I had some very beautiful experiences when I was there. Was there any spirituality for you back then? or? Well, you know, around, I would say, 13 or 14, I started really questioning, like, what am I? What is God? What what am I doing here? Like, who am I in, in this perspective of this whole thing and I started my grandmother I remember also becoming a vegetarian just naturally I felt I just Argentina is huge in meat Mm -hmm. and I had this very powerful experience of not wanting to eat meat it was very strong you know of not wanting to eat dead flesh at that time I would call it like that I don't eat the dead I would say And um, uh, then at 14, my grandmother had given me a book about yoga and I had started to read it and I was starting to have have some mystical experiences. And at 14, uh, I think I was 14, I had a very, very powerful mystical experience in which I can say that 
I was completely transported. I don't know how long it lasted. It, it wasn't, I didn't take any drugs or anything like that. Were you at but school? I, Were you at home? Yeah, I was at the boarding school, which was wild, you know, because I was, I was in the middle of this, all this questioning and everything. And then I was, went outside. I sat outside. I remember it totally as if it was yesterday. Um, I had a huge tree in front of me and I went back and I was reading this book, this book about yoga that my grandmother had given me. And for a moment, I just went back and I closed my eyes and suddenly I was in a state of mind that the only, it's very hard to describe these kind of experiences because it was a truly communion with God or with whatever it was sort of this huge experience of universal love of understanding universal love like a deep balls to bones experience of what is universal love and the tree that was in front of me it was like glistening as if I wasn't tripping. Wow. The tree was glistening. I could feel and see the life in every single leaf. And I was completely in this in this illumin, illumined state. Mm-hmm. And the then after, I don't know if for after a while, but the only thing that crossed through my head, like a sentence, a voice, if you would, if if you would, was this is God. Because I had been questioning, what is God? What is my source? What is that? And it was like, this is it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't verbal. It was just a sense of like, this is it. You knew. And, when I, and then when I was out of it, like it came out of that, and I was left with this deep, beautiful sense of like universal love. And I remember running, going into the dorms where the girls were and I would go in and, you know, all the girls were studying. They were like on the tables doing their homework. I just had just love for all. There's no way I could explain to them what had happened. I never told anybody. So you didn't about. tell, yeah, you didn't tell. No, no, there was no way. High school girls, you know, like. Oh, no, I was going to say that's smart because I bet that <laughs> your life would have been different, right? Like they would have cataloged you as crazy or out of your mind or whatever. And then you have to, at the very least, you would have felt like your experience was diminished, right? Because yes, because it's not something that you can explain, like you can't do it justice with words. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I teach A Course in Miracles and A Course in Miracles is a channeled uh, mind training program. And there's a part in which he, he explains, they explain that when you experience revelation, it's actually communication of the creator to the created, but it's not mutual. The experience mm-hmm. of revelation is one-sided. You're left with the experience of what that gave you. Of course, it's impossible to explain those moments, you know. Yeah. It, 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 the experience is not the description of the experience. So, Otherwise, yeah. like, it wouldn't be divine, right? Be, yes. It would be, yeah. Yeah. And definitely that marked sort of the rest of my life. You know, you, that was the the marker for the rest of my life. Did you feel like, okay, how do I make this happen again? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But I definitely knew that I was here on this earth to deepen into that experience. I, I, I didn't have this feeling, I want to have that again. I, what I wanted was to understand consciousness more, to understand myself more. And I really had a deep, deep, I was left with this total understanding that this is a farce. This is a game. Everybody's playing a game. Everybody has a mask on and they're just showing the mask, but there's something else behind the form, behind there. And so I knew that. I can't, I couldn't put it into words the way I'm putting it now. There is no way, but I knew it very, at a very intuitive level. And so that's kind of sort of what marked my, uh, there was this deep trust that I would be shown, you know? Yeah. So how did that shape the decisions that you then made to 
live the rest of your days or well um, move forward from there how to live the rest of my days (laughs) (laughs) for a while sort of my parents wanted definitely wanted me to go to school to university but I was like I'm like I I don't what do I study I didn't want to do psychology I wanted for a while I thought well I'll study philosophy but then I started getting books like I started reading very very I always read my whole life I I I was an avid reader and I tapped into different books and I was very attracted to the whole uh, Hindu tradition uh, gurus you know I was looking for a teacher like I I knew I needed a teacher somebody to a light to guide me I came to United States originally under the pretext of really going to the university that I was going to go study. But, you know, I knew I what I really wanted to do was I really wanted Paramahansa Yogananda. That time I had read that book, uh, the um, autobiography of a yogi. And that book really marked me. And so I just I just was looking for a teacher that I could just uh, surrender to. And have the experience of delving deep into meditation and learn that. And that's how I ended up not going to the Parahansa Yogananda Ashram. I met my teacher, my first teacher, that was Guru Maharaji. Um, and so this was here in the United States. So you came here under the pretext of going to college to Miami, right. correct? Was that right. Miami? Yeah. And then... While you were here, I think it's easier, right? When you're like not straight under your parents' supervision. You're exactly. Like, oh, and now I'm going to find my path. You found your guru. You went first to an ashram, you said? No, I went to an ashram after I, after I received knowledge. Sort of, there, it's a series of techniques. They're called knowledge. And sort of you're initiated into these particular techniques of meditation and I was just completely dedicated, so I decided to move into an ashram. And I was just like 18 years old. I was very young. And those years, I would meditate hours and hours and hours. And I'm telling you, the experiences that I was having were definitely out of this world, you know. I was completely dedicated to satsang, service, and meditation. So satsang is the sharing of truth. It's called. It's like the company of truth. And we would meet every day and have satsang. And then service, just being in service, doing whatever you needed to do in the ashram or whatever being Mm -hmm. in a state of service and then meditation and so that was my life for the next four years it definitely shaped me you know well how could it not exactly well and also like at that age right when you don't have the otherworldly things that may be bothering you so you can really jump not bothering you interfering that's the word yeah and at the same time and I see this happened, and I've seen it happen through the years because I've been in this process for all these years. I'm 60 now. It was a way for me to escape from the unresolved issues um, that were starting to come up to the surface. Interesting. The unresolved childhood th- issues, uh, things that I didn't want to look at. Uh, I didn't want to look inside about myself and so in a certain way meditation gave me a way to transcend yes but it wasn't until later that I started doing breath work that I saw oh my god yeah I'm having all these very light experiences and I'm, I was very high up there but you know I would always joke and said when, when I finished meditating I would meditate for two three hours and I would get up and I would want to kick the cat you know like mm, yeah so this anger was still there it wasn't mm. resolved and I'm not saying this everybody does this or anything but in many ways, I and I, when I go back and I look at the people that were there, in in many ways it was a way of hiding, you yes. know, not dealing with the world, not dealing with my sexuality because I was celibate yes. too. Yeah, and I think that also I was tapping into my. I have memories of being a nun many, many lifetimes because mm-hmm. through the years, the only way to get closer to God and the divine 
for women was to either be a, a healer, like, you know, a witch, what they would call a witch, mm-hmm. or a nun. Yeah. There was no way for me to, and I, so I had that so, it was such a memory for me to be celibate and to ju- only be dedicated to God and only, you know, only tapping into that connection, that communion with my God. It was so easy. So I think it was something that I needed to do, but there was a moment that I realized that, no, I want to have relationships. I want to, you know, I want to have sex. I want to. What made you step out of these four years and then saying like, okay, I'm, I'm going to. I started liking a guy. From there or outside of the ashram? Uh, outside of the ashram, I think. I think it was uh, some guy that was outside of it. I realized, no, I want to, I just want to live a little bit more, you know. My whole life, I always felt like I never analyzed myself a lot. It was more like guided, okay, this is the next thing to do, you know. Like, And I, re- I, remember, I remember that I integrity was a huge thing for me. And it is, still is, obviously. And so... I couldn't stay in the ashram like many other people would do because the requirement was celibacy and satsang service and meditation. But many people wouldn't have celibacy. They would Mm. do it in hidden, you know, Mm. but I couldn't do it. So once I fell in love with a guy and I was like, I want to start trying sex. I want to live a little bit out in the world. Then, then it was like, okay, I, I'm not in integrity here. I want to do this. And, and that's when I left the ashram. However, meditation and that connection has never left me. It's something that I use constantly, the connection with the breath. Yeah, you integrate it into your life instead of, like you were saying, just like escaping to that. Right, right. Everyday life. Right, so, totally that- incorporated. What did you do when you realized this anger that I feel when I am done meditating? What did you realize? Okay, I got to do something about this. Well, I never thought I got to do something about this. I was just, you know, a young woman living with a lot of anger, a lot of unresolved issues, a lot of uh, moments, times in which I would enter into the deep depression. You don't know why, you know, mm-hmm. would cry, would close my, the curtains and be hidden for days. And then I met this woman called Sandra Ray. This was when breathwork was just starting in the 80s. And this woman had learned um, uh, the technique of rebirthing, which is a technique of breathwork in which you enter into a sort of trance through that particular technique and you tap into certain things that are unresolved traumas and you can energetically process them all the way to birth, even in vitro issues, things that you absorbed programs that you absorbed in vitro, sometimes even past lives. So when I met her, and it was a thing that she called, and she did, she still does. She's like in her 80s. She's wonderful. If anybody wants to look her up, she's in her 80s. She's amazing. I'm an amazing woman. She's had this thing called the loving relationships training. And that's when I went, this was when like workshops just started. It, that Now it's so common, you know, but this just started at that time. She was a big pioneer in self-help. You know, at that time, yeah. Louise Hay was the other oh, one. Oh, yes, yes. Louise Hay, sure. she was the other one. So they're, they're kind of contemporaries. I think Louise Hay was a little bit older. And so I started uh, doing rebirthing for, and I did it, I still do it. And then, you know, for many years, and I uh, really started processing the anger that I had that was so in there, you know, and it wasn't easy, you know, it was, I would say it was a couple of years of like, really, but I was like, I, I was committed, you know, I was committed this, I need to look at this and this needs to come out. And did that make you choose then becoming? Because we know that you be, you became a licensed rebirther as well, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's always like this. It's always that the process of healing others has to go through the process of healing ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so as I heal, I heal. Yes, you know? yes. yes. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. And so, of course, I was doing it for me, but I thought, well, I might as well just really take 
this and just I took a one year of just really and rebirthing you do it in a lot of ways you breathe in water so you tap into the memories when you're in your womb you breathe uh, in you know in the air normally you breathe underwater with like a with a thing so there's all these different ways that you can work this particular technique that is called rebirthing you were still in Miami right when all of this was going on yes I was still in Miami and at that time I really went and I just experienced the world I was like I want to live I want to experience everything and it was a lot of fun I had a Miami was a lot of fun in the 80s it was just starting it wasn't the crazy that it is now it's crazy it was a little bit more avant-garde the artists you know South Beach wasn't what it is now it was just all starting and so I became I became a fashion stylist. I just had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of fun during those years. Yeah, it did. It did. There did come a moment that I, during those years, that I sort of felt a pull again to go back to my spiritual practice more seriously. Okay. I had a very strong experience visiting New Mexico. I remember that's one of the things that did it. I went for a walk, is for a hike somewhere, and I was standing in a hill, and suddenly I looked down, and the hill, and underneath in the valley, it was all desert-like, you know, but... I suddenly saw it all green and the teepees were there and the Indians were there. And there was like, um, I could almost feel the laughter and just gentleness. That experience just, I just started crying and crying and crying. I'm not sure if I was tapping into my own memory or I was tapping into the the pain that that was inflicted. Um, No, I was really, you're tapping into the more photogenic field of, of the of the general consciousness of what of all that that was and I really felt I need to serve God again like I need to serve the divine more in in a deeper way you know I, I just felt that call I know you said that you were not raised Catholic but I you just said serve God and you talked about the nuns earlier so I wonder was it very clear for you after your experience that you were going to find the divine outside of a religion? Meaning you didn't turn into Catholicism or Judaism. You just... No, on the contrary. Organized Christianity was not in the cards for me at all. On the contrary. No, no, no. For me, it was more like towards the Hindu. I wanted more that. I didn't want to have anything to do with traditional. I consciously didn't want to have anything to do. I think it was because I had memories of being burned at the stake and 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 I knew what how much manipulation was was being was being done you know how much that a lot of that was driven by guilt you know you're a sinner you know that yes. kind of stuff when I say serve god my experience never was like a religious experience of God. Like I had had an experience of what God was. Mm-hmm. I knew what God was. God was a pure, unadulterated, undefiled knowingness of love. I ha- I had had that experience. And so I remember this moment in my life in which I was in a crossroads, didn't know what to do which way to go. And I remember that I was sitting in my room, you know, trying to like figure it out. And then suddenly I remember that I literally fell on my knees and there was this deep thing that I just said inside of myself, I don't know which way I'm I'm supposed to go. I do not know. But I do know that I want to serve you. And it wasn't a religious, dogmatic serving. It was a, it was a sense of like, I want to serve this love that I know to be true. I want to serve this path of, uh, of finding the true, authentic joining of myself with every everything that else that is alive, you know? Like, I couldn't put it into words like that, but I knew, okay, this is what I want. What I want is to serve this. This is my path. And once I got clear of that, 
then the next day the path was open and I was very clear which way which way to go and that's how it is you know once we know where it is what it is that we really want then it's never it's never about out there how to resolve things out there it's always about finding it finding what it is that i want you know and who is it that i'm going to serve within me am i going to serve the god of war the god of inner conflict the war god of anxiety and pain or am i going to serve the god of love the god of of uh, truth, of joy. Where is it that I want to put myself? And I'm the one that needs to make that decision. I think that's a really important point, right? Because when we're clear about where we want to go next or what we want to do next, when we have that clarity inside ourselves, we make it happen, right? And and it's, it's the muddledness of well, if I want to do that, here are the roadblocks, but maybe I want to do that instead. Mm-hmm. And that that muddling is what keeps us from moving forward, not anything outside of ourselves necessarily. Well, and if you put all your focus on the roadblocks, then you're not focusing on you. Like you were saying, you were focusing on the outside and not on the inside, which I think it's a little bit of like this connecting with, you know, what's your higher purpose? Yes, I think you touched it there because whenever we are in this state of this muddleness, the question is really what it is, what is my purpose? Once you purpose is meaning, you know, so what is my meaning? What am I about? Once I get clear, so I know my life in every single aspect of my life serves a purpose higher than myself. My relationship, I've been married for 20 something years the relationship has a power as a has a purpose higher than the relationship so if mm-hmm. i have a purpose that is higher a bigger than myself then i serve that purpose that clarity informs the universe you know that clarity informs my life and so my life will start showing like I don't need to resolve and figure out what's my next step if I'm clear on my purpose that's beautiful Mm -hmm. and like an amazing reminder yes for sure you're telling me this and I'm thinking about whatever may be going on in my life and I'm like oh that's right that's right yes (laughs) so yeah that reminder (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is a it is an important reminder, especially right now, you know, because it's almost like we've been programmed to be problem solvers. Yes. So we there's it's important to see that the problems are set up for them not to resolve. The intention of your life, if you could call it your life, is that you don't resolve your problems, that you're constantly resolving problems, right? (laughs) Right? And so if you come to that point, I always go, your problems have, (laughs) I always say this, my problems have no solution. Look Look at the world right now, the situation right now. That problem has no solution within the context that it's being presented right now. There is no solution there. The solution is it has to be a higher purpose than the problem. And so if I have a problem, but that problem is showing me that there's something unresolved within myself. If there's war, that war is reflecting a war within myself. It's reflecting my own unresolved issues of perpetrator or victim, my own unresolved issues of being a victim of this world instead of a a creator of my life, instead of an owner of my inner experience. The outside is always, always, always reflecting my own inner state. It's the nature of this 3D reality we're in. And that's the hard part, right? Because when you are in the war zone and you are getting bombarded, it's very hard for a lot of people that are going to be listening and are going to get mad at us to understand that what you're saying is how the game is played. But if you try to match that into the 3D reality, like you called it, right? And thinking, well, but there's the presidents that are fighting and the terrorists and the blah. If you fall back again in, like you're jumping right into the problem once again. What you're saying is, 
us as humans have to raise our consciousness. Yes. It's not just yes. the president or the terrorist yes. or the whatever. Yes, because it's very easy to be tempted to to grab the ba- the bait yes. of, of yes. that of that of that somebody's a victim and somebody's a perpetrator. Well, that's what's happening inside of us. We feel a victim. We're also the perpetrator. We also are with ourselves in war with ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. You know, what's our inner dialogue? What's going on inside of us? This is where where the war has to be won it at an inner at in an inner level you know the outside is a reflection of the inside the war is against ourselves now that particular issues whatever issues are going on in the world they're a reflection of what's unresolved within us as a human race and we i represent the human race and i realize now i go back to that non trying to solve a problem i've tried to solve the problem at that level over and over and over and over and over again try to resolve the problem through war and retaliation and retaliation and 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 vengeance and back and forth and back and forth and there the other thing is there is no solution there okay that's one thing there's no solution there but the other thing is we have to see what it is that we're feeding every time I'm, that I'm in a state of attacking myself or somebody or feeling a victim of myself or somebody, of, of feeling a victim myself. Like, what is it that I'm feeding when I'm feeding that inner state? And mm. that's, you know, I say that's the, the God of war, you know, yeah, that's a yeah, system yeah. that feeds a system and that system feeds another system. So where does it have to stop? Right here, <laughs> yeah, right here with me, with me looking, where is it that I still, still feel a victim? Where is it that I am still, I still look for guilt in another, in the other? You know, where is it that I experience peace? You know, wh- what is it that pulls me out of an inner state of peace? I know you guys know that, and that's why you have this program, you know, that we are standing for a different way. We're standing yeah. for that there is another way. Many, many people can't see it, but one awakened, I remember hearing a teacher that said, one awakened being can affect constellations. And it's true, right? And it's this whole thing that we were talking about before, right? Like there's the fact that there are people like you holding space and raising the vibration for the rest of us. It's more than we can do from here, from far away, than feeding into the problem. The job is to admit everything because the job is also inner. I won't say like I look at that and I don't have my opinions. Of course. That's what I need to look at. You know, every time I have, I want to kill those motherfuckers. You know, every time I feel that, that's an energy that I'm feeding. Mm-hmm. Or, or inversely, every time I say, oh, poor Poor that one, poor this, is an energy I'm feeling. It's the same energy. Yeah. It's the same energy. From the same thing, yeah. I've been the perpetrator. I've been the victim. I'm all of it. And what I'm seeing is an outside picture of an inner condition. And so it's not about negating what I feel, but to look at it like, oh, yeah, I want to kill that motherfucker or... Oh, yeah, I feel I need to go out and save somebody. Yeah. I mm-hmm. do have those feelings, and, but this is because we're human. So here's a, here's a yeah. question for you. So how do you actively, in practice, so you look at this feeling, you see it, and what do you do next? Like, so, oh, yeah, I want to kill that motherfucker. Oh, yeah, yeah. that for that guy. I, I, I open the space with that feeling right? Like I open the space. I don't deny it. I feel it. And then I notice that that one that feels that just needs love. 
So instead of criticizing myself, oh no, I'm a spiritual person. I shouldn't be feeling I, I want to kill that motherfucker. I just allow her to be there and then I just love her. Mm. Is this part of the Course of Miracles? Yes, the essence of A Course in Miracles is forgiveness and seeing right. seeing somebody beyond the form. Okay, so you were in New Mexico <laughs> to work in service of you know the, the universal consciousness, right? What did you do? Where did you go? Well, so yeah, so I was in Miami in the world of fashion and this and that and all of that. And then I have this experience, you know, like doing cattle calls. I don't know if you know what cattle calls are, but it's when they call the models and the models have to like walk in front. And I was part of an agency and all of that. And I was like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, like, no, no. I went to Mexico. I had that experience. I was like, okay, I got to I gotta get back. I gotta get back. I gotta. I gotta get back to me. So yeah. that's when I. I had this sort of pull. I need to. I need something else. Something else has to happen. And I met my future husband, who was a channeler. He mm. he channeled the ascended masters, and he was in Miami. And he also felt the call that he needed to leave Miami. So at that point, point we were just friends. And so we just uh, decided to go together and we ended up being together and we lived and worked with the Ascended Masters for 10 years. Tell us more about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. Well, do you know about channeling? Uh, yes, but I don't know about... Tell our listeners about yes. what going on there channeling is and, and and now it's a lot more common at that time it wasn't that common is ways that that beings that are us you know but it's beings that are not in this particular dimension they're in in other dimensions we have guides we have teachers we have you know jesus is a teacher you know he hasn't once he left he didn't go anywhere his his knowledge is still around his instruction is around but his being is also around so there's many beings that can actually use the brain i don't know i have no idea how it works <laughs> but they use somebody's brain to communicate information yeah. There's a group, if you could call it like an order, a higher order of consciousness, where a lot of beings that have a, a achieved enlightenment uh, are part of, and it's called the Ascended Masters. So the, Jesus is not the only one that ascended. There's Ascended Masters from, from Tibet, from, uh, from all religions, all cultures, and so there's a bunch of them. And many, many times they'll, commu they'll communicate through, through people. So my husband particularly at that time was channeling them. They would teach us about the nature of love, the nature of, of reality, the nature of us, what were we about. They would teach about raising what they would call raising your consciousness. You know, we were also instructed a lot, like, uh, I, I guess my husband's uh, particular assignment as a channeler was to download a, a certain frequencies. Mm. So we would be assigned a lot. We would travel a lot. So we would go, okay, now you guys got to go to this coordinate, this and that coordinate, Mount Shasta, Tetons, Atlantis, whatever. You have to go to this coordinate. And then we would sit there and then they would download specific images. It was wild. Yeah. Specific images of geometric sacred geometry, like pyramids, mm -hmm. downloading certain colors, using violet light a lot. We would actually do that with our mind's eye. And we would project it in there. And so we would do this work. But, you know, everything is energy. Everything is vibration. So when you you know very well that when you have an intention and a clear intention, it manifests. We would do this you know, and manifest and leave in certain areas in Argentina. We did work. We did work all over the world. We would leave these vibrational frequencies, these forms, these shapes that could be as 
portals for somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. Well, that's perfect. That was good. So I, you said you worked with that 10 years. What did you, because this sounds amazing, but I'm sure that you also needed to make money to support this. So like, what did you guys do? Did you work with people as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. This was with people. We would do all kinds of workshops, you know, seven-week ascension workshop, you know, how to raise your vibration or whatever, different things, you know, working with uh, emotional stuff. I was also, at that time, I really started also working. I had like two or three angels, like guides around me that I could feel them. So I was taught by them through my husband, this healing energy healing system, that healing with my hands called Rubionics, in which we would download these energies and shoot them down through the hands. So Mm -hmm. at that time, I was doing a lot of that work. I do have to say that looking back, all kinds of stuff would happen, like very mystical stuff, you know. But honestly, I was very young. I didn't know really what was going on. So I know I was being used, but in terms of me understanding, I had learned and I had this ability, I don't know how I had it, of locating different, you could call it like a mind virus, like little forms of energy that that get stuck in the body, which is what I do a lot now. Mm, like a scanner. Um, yeah, I could feel where things are sca- stuck and that those things had also, yeah, I would release that kind of stuff with the work with the angels and stuff. And so we did a lot of that. There did come a moment that, and this was a moment that I call it, I many, many times I call it my dark night of the soul, you know. We want to hear all about it. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your dark night. Gets us through to the next place, right? That's right. And I also think, like, I don't know, for a lot of people listening, if if they're going through what I am by listening to your story, your story is amazing. But for the rest of us mortals that may not sense where things are stuck or have angels that guide us, knowing that you also go through hard times and have a dark night helps us go through our dark night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can really say like, yeah, I have a lot of light. I'm awake, you know, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I'm going to go. I don't go to sh- through shit. I'm, yeah. I'm here. I'm, I'm in my body. I'm in a body. I'm in the yeah. densest of densest thing that can be. It's yeah. in the third dimension. So yeah. this is what this is about. This is what the work is about. Like, it's not about trying to get higher and higher and transcend everything. No, it's about owning all the darkness owning everything because if we don't own our own dark thoughts our own dark places those places that are very hidden there if we don't look at them own them love them and shine the light on them nothing will yeah nothing will because it's our own it's we're we're the one i'm the representative of the human race i am the only representative everything else is inside of me nothing is outside out there external to me there's nothing external it's all in me so this is my job this is your job this is everybody's job right here our next job is to really look at all the darkness look at the shadow you call that's the work the shadow work many there's so many ways that you can do it right now there's so many techniques and yes I have the experience, I have the energetic resilience to go there with somebody because I've been through it. Yeah, right. I've been through a dark night of the soul. I've been through it. So I know how to go down there and how to get out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're learning. We're all learning. So what was your dark night of the soul? Well, what happened to me was I was in New York City I had been doing work, like when I would do work, it was so like, I was so, I would go, just go so deep into myself that I would see three, four, five clients a week. I couldn't see too many of the sessions were long. I couldn't even go out into the city during the, during that time. And I was done with my week of work and a friend of mine called me and go out to dinner. So I went out onto the city and I was energetically very open mm-hmm. and I started feeling everybody walking towards me. I start feeling their whole story. I go in the subway and I could feel 
everybody's the whole how deep deep trauma pain we're going through then i started thinking oh this is just one of the wagons of the subway and there's 20 people here well there's five wagons there's like there's 100 people and then how many people are there in new york city it just went to a moment that i went this is impossible this can't be done. You know, we were being told that we're raising the frequency, you know, all of this love on the earth and life. I was like, no, this is not, this cannot be done. And so I literally went back to Colorado, which is where I was living. And I remember sitting in the corner of my room, the tur- currents turned in. I was like, okay, I quit. Put, a, put my resignation up in the upper room, you know, I went up there and I said, no, I put my resignation. This is impossible. What you're asking for is impossible. And I really didn't move from there until I heard about this one teacher in Wisconsin. Somehow I had this feeling that I needed another teacher. I needed more than just channeled teachers like I wanted a flesh and blood teacher you know of of an ascended level it's kind of what I put out there you know and that's how when I met my next teacher which which was the one of A Course in Miracles somebody told me uh, actually they paid for me to go and see him and the first thing I heard from him was the issue is not out there it's in here Stop trying to save the whales. Stop trying to save out there. It's you. It's Mm. just you. And that did like something to me. Like I, I don't have to try to solve it out there. I need to just assume this or receive the correction or receive the blessing. Receive it myself in me. Receive the healing. I need to heal myself. If I heal myself, then it would be felt. And that changed everything. That took me to a a different place. And that's how I started with A Course in Miracles. So tell us a little bit more about The Course in Miracles. Yeah, A Course in Miracles is a message. It's actually a message that comes from the ascended uh, Master Jesus. The story is very wild. She was... um, a psychologist. She was the head of the psychologist department, psychology department in Columbia University. And I know, wild. She started having some mystical experiences and dreams and stuff. And she was like, what is going on? She didn't know. what. It's a long story. But one day she starts getting literally a dictation in her head that said, this is a course in miracles. Please take notes. Now. <laughs> I love that. She, right. So she freaks out. She totally freaks out. It all started because in her department, there was so much contriction. There was so much inner fighting and backbiting, you know, like just war in the whole department. And one day she and Bill, her colleague, sat and said, there has to be another way. And that's when the course started coming in. The fact that they both agreed to open the door for another way is what opened the door for this information to come in. And so she started writing down and goes to tell Bill, like, I'm hearing this voice talking to me. I mean, imagine the woman was Jewish. She was a Jewish woman. And then he, she hears this voice that, this, that says that he's Jesus. <laughs> so, so. She's one of the. Psychology department, like there's a lot of right, right. There, there's so much to unpack there. Well, anyway, she she goes, okay. Well, you know, she tells Bill, you know, I think I'm going crazy. I think I'm going crazy because I'm hearing this voice tell. And so he goes, well, why don't you take down what she what the voice says, and you take it down and I'll type it. So for seven years. She took down the information that is A Course in Miracles, and he would type it. Now, when you read A Course in Miracles, it has a certain authority that you can, and a certain type of information, 
about how the mind works, how spirit works, how your communication with your creation with your creator works. There's there's a process. It's a mind training process. There's so much in that mind training program and everything in that whole book that it's very hard to think. Well, the author of this is a psychologist from from New York you know like yeah. When, yeah when you're reading it you like feel there's something else going on here I completely cheated and read Return to Love instead of the book of I mean you know the Marianne Williamson's shorter yeah. version of it what can you tell us the name of the woman who received this information yeah Helen Schuckman Schuckman S-C-H okay yeah Schuckman yeah. There is something that if you just grab it anywhere and you sit there. Now, in this A and age of like two minute clips, two minute things and that your brain just gets fried after twelve listen to a video for twelve minutes. I'm like after six minutes, I'm like, How long is this video? Right? Like right. Yeah, three minutes, but yes. yes. If you give yourself I this is a discipline for me. Like mm-hmm. I sit down and I'm like, I'm gonna put an hour here. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to let this talk to me because this is information that is emanating from your own consciousness as you're reading it. Mm -hmm. And this is information that it's your higher self talking to you about how it is that you returned back to your source. How do you, how you returned back to the memory that you belong not only to your source, but also that you're not separate from anything that is alive. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're one. And I know this is a cliche, you're one and all of that, right? But, but that you are, that everything que goza de vida, anything that is alive has that same pulsation of life through you right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something that is worth sort of sitting with it and settling into it and delving deep in, inner into it. So when with a course, sometimes I'll just give myself a couple of hours, you know, and I sit down, I open it anywhere, and I just let it talk to me, which is what Marianne did. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> with anything, but particularly with reflections about spirit and consciousness and like all these existential kind of questions, right? Giving ourselves time to delve and to sit creates a very different experience than dipping in and out quickly. Yes. Yes. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because why? Because we are eternal. Like we are supposed to delve into the aspect of us that is eternal. But Mm. our consciousness is like a piano of twi- of of 88 notes we're really right now with any with all this attention into images and getting back only images 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 right and an image of ourselves we're only tapping into one note and that's all we're seeing and we're like oh how boring is this life right i wake up i go to work i have to serve a system i am part of the system i respond to things based on my program I'm not free to be myself, to do what I really want to do, right? Because I'm part of this this closed system that is one note of the 88 notes. And then Mm. suddenly you start going, and you start hearing other notes in the piano. And you realize that there's other dimensions of yourself. And I'm not talking about wild dimensions. I'm really talking about there's more, there's inner dimensions to be explored. And these processes, like A Course in Miracles, like A Course in Love, like like uh, plant medicine right now, which is what I, I'm into right now quite a bit, like biofield tuning, like healing with yeah. sound, all of these different methods take you to that deeper inner dimension of yourself that yes warrants and it demands more of you you know because it wants you to know (laughs) it's like we're in a containment and that containment needs to be loosened up yeah well it's like all the mystical all the different mystical practices right a christian 
mystic is having a different kind of experience than a person who's going to mass for 45 minutes. Someone who's studying the Kabbalah is going deeper and deeper and deeper than what they would get in from just the daily or weekly rituals of Judaism. All of these mystical practices demand that we take time to explore and acknowledge the oneness, yes. right? And it's, it's, it's like that different wells to the same source kind of analogy. Yeah. yeah. And also, I don't want to scare anybody because this is, we're so busy. We're filling our day in, into smaller and smaller and smaller fragments have to be filled, you know. I do want to say that time, dedicating time is a great thing and it's a suggestion, but it goes beyond also dedicating time. It also is your will. Once you want to know something at a deeper level than you're knowing it, that's enough. Mm. You will be given the time. The time will show up. You will make the time for it out of your busy schedule. Why? Because you know that you want to go deeper there. And it's so beautiful how you said, you know, the mystic that studies the Kabbalah, the guy that does the Christianity, the guy that does different things. That's the crazy thing is that when we go deeper into wanting to know ourselves at a deeper level, the experience is the same. The experience of oneness is the same for all of us. The experience mm -hmm. of love and understanding and compassion is the same. And that's what joins us. That's what joins us. We're all like these little antennas. We're all emitting signals constantly. And the signal of the human race is skewed right now. The antenna is like a little bit, you know, the signal is dirty. It's, 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 right? it's, like, it's like when you're turning the dial of a radio. For those that remember radios <laughs> and dials, you know, that you're trying to find yeah. the, the dial. And then it's like, <sighs> that's the signal that we're emitting. So all we need to do is just clear up the signal clean up the signal through that work of shutting up the inner critic, through that work of quieting down the mind, through that work of connecting with nature, with something that is abstract mm. and formless. You know, that's why we love nature is because it's abstract. That's, that's what, that's what need, not only needs to happen, but is happening. Yeah. I know that it's happening. It's happening. And that's why I feel that the darkness feels that it's darker at this point. It's not because there's anything going wrong. It's because now we actually are starting to see what really is going on. But because there is more light. It's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah. It's always that's darkest it. before the dawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hopeful. Yeah. And the last thing, you know, for the last few years, I would say that I've been doing for the last 10, 15 years has been ayahuasca. I've been working oh, with plant nice. medicine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That and has, yes, you're in Wisconsin, right? You've, I'm you in Wisconsin, but I've been, I worked in, in, in Colombia and Peru and then uh, in, in the United States. Yeah. I, grow, I work with a group. Yeah. So tell us about what you're doing with plant medicine. Yeah, plant medicine is a really amazing way of discovering deeper parts of yourself. Also, uh, ayahuasca specifically is an amazing guide, is an amazing teacher of clearing up past traumas, darkness, the shadow self, it's called in the shamanic world, that type of work. And really, how did you start with that? Oh, I, ha I, was, I had been very sick for a while. I, I had limes. I could go completely well, but I could still feel it in my energy field. And mm. I had a friend that was a shaman, and I asked him, Do you think that with ayahuasca I could clear that out from my energy field? And he said, Yes. So that's how I started. So, what was your experience with ayahuasca? My experience with ayahuasca is that I get schooled every single time. <laughs> <laughs> ayahuasca is not for everybody. So, I'm mentioning it with some, not hesitation, but with uh, responsibility. It's not somebody for everybody. You have to really feel, if you're listening to this, you have to really feel that you're being called to do something, that, this type of work. There's many psychotropics that, you, that, that are helping nowadays. Yeah, particularly um, 
with the mushrooms, right? Like there's yes, other people, yes. Yeah. The veil to the dimensions of ourselves that are beyond the containment that I was talking about is very thin. So mm. there's ways that we can actually pierce that veil. And you can do it through years and years of meditation. You can do it through many, many ways. These are sacred methods, sacred plants, sacred medicines that have been given to us that instead of popping a pill and and so-called medicines that we're being pushed right now mm-hmm. by by corporations through to actually suppress and not look and numb us down, these are methods to wake us up that we mm-hmm. can actually start seeing that we can heal, that we have the power to heal, that we are inherently healed and hold already now there's an aspect of ourselves in right now that is perfect whole and complete that has never been touched by any of the stuff that the stories that are going on around us and that place lies within us and it's it seems to be covered by layers and layers of stories and programs and distortions, but that place is untouched. And in many ways, plant medicines can help you reach that place, as well as A Course in Miracles or whatever method you're doing. No, like you were saying, you have all these tools or resources that, mm-hmm. that you end up with the same experience. You just get to them in a different way. Right. It called you, you listened, you learned how to use it, and now you take people on journeys? You're... Uh, yes, I am a facilitator, but I don't do groups. I, I'm only a private facilitator. I only do one or two people. Very, I'm very picky, yes. I have to be instructed that this is the person for me. They go through a rigorous process of application. Not rigorous, but I just I, I want to make sure that this is the right the, you sit this with is it, the right it. the right match, you know. So yeah. I do them for people. Yes. Tell us about bio. Biofield tuning is a wonderful method of sound healing from Eileen McCusick. For anybody that wants to look her up on YouTube, it's a method of healing using tuning forks. So I sound these things, these tuning forks, and they create a wave. You know, everything is waves. A lot of your your issues and your memories, your thought, the essence of everything is thought and thought is yeah. vibration and memories and things in your life don't get restored in your brain. They are actually stored in your field in the form of waves. Mm. And that's the part of your signal that is off. When you haven't resolved something or released a deep anger or released something, that gets stuck in your field. And it it sort of siphons your energy out. And so when you introduce a very highly coherent signal of sound, you can actually clear that up, clear that signal up. And then you in your life can become more light, more easy. Emotions are are dealt more easily. The body gets, starts getting more energy and more voltage. It's a beautiful system. I absolutely love it. And is there something that people have to be there in front of you for you to do it? Not necessarily. I can use it at a distance because I'm working on the energy field. And your your energy is not in space and time. So I can definitely do a, a distance healing. They're just as powerful. I just did one with somebody that I did it in person. And then I did a distance one because he lives in Colombia. And he told me the one at a distance was more powerful than the one in person. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. Must have felt, he must have felt the release. Yeah, you do feel it. You do feel it. Now you're in Wisconsin and, and this is your main. So you do ayahuasca for a few people, but this is what you do the most. I do by, well, I do by field tuning. I teach. I, uh, well, I, for the last few years, I've, I've stopped teaching. So and if anybody goes, yeah. So if anybody goes, look, looks in my website, there's nothing there because I stopped teaching. I stopped doing everything. It was sort of an inner, something that I needed to do for a moment. Was this something that happened with COVID or? No, 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 no. I, I realized that I had, you know, I've been teaching for 30 years. I mean, I opened centers, of course, in miracle centers all over the world. Like I've done a lot of things and, and I have 
I had, I realized that I had made an image of myself as a teacher. And I somehow during the work with the plant medicine, I realized I need to let that go for a moment so I can really find me again, like not the image of me, but me. Sure. And so now in the last few months, I feel like I'm back, which is not by chance that we're doing this, you know, this is part of my sort of reclaiming that again, but from a different place. So I'll be doing a lot of workshops and I still teach in Spanish. This is beautiful because you're telling me this and I think this whole living by what you teach, right? If I'm telling you, don't get too caught up with your ego and your story, then that's what you're doing. You're like, wait a minute, you I got too caught up with my ego and my story. Exactly. This whole world word reclaiming. It's so beautiful. Yes. So we like to ask the women that are in our podcast, when do they feel the most powerful? And I'm intrigued to see what your answer will be. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Oh, you guys are adorable. I think that the place where I feel I'm the most powerful is where I'm really tapped into my authentic self. And also when I'm the most powerful is when I really see that my power comes from that place where I'm really tapped Hmm. to my source. And that my words are coming out of that place. They're not coming from what I think people should listen uh, or what I think I should do or act, but they're coming from my place in which I am really in touch with myself. And when Mm. I'm really in touch with myself, I know I'm in touch with my source. That's wonderful. That was very clear. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Like move to New Jersey, please. Let's do a session, girls, whenever. I, I, can do, I can do group tunings, too. So if you guys want to organize a group tuning, we can do a group tuning. Oh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, we can do it at a distance. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Absolutely. I'm like, I'm here. Wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it, it's, you guys are a delight. I loved your questions. It's your story that's captivating. We were like, just tell us more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. and My pleasure. My pleasure. And yes, blessings. And let's let's keep at it. Yes, for sure. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Join us next week when we talk to my very good friend, life coach, Jen O'Neill. Don't forget. You can catch up on all of our episodes wherever you listen to your